Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm Josh, your host, and today we are looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. This podcast is associated with the Scattered Abroad Network. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and check out the episode notes below for contact information including websites and where we can be found on social media. Again, thank you for your support, and let's begin our Bible study. As mentioned, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and looking at it with us today is no stranger to the podcast, our friend uh, Tobias. Tobias, will you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yes, my name is Tobias Hatchett. I am... Worship out at the Ninth and Main Church of Christ in San Angelo, Texas. I am a 2022 Memphis grad and uh, interning right now, but uh, still doing the work. I will say, and it's been a great work. I've been interning here for about a year and a half now, and things are going quite well. And I, again, appreciate Josh, my classmate, for inviting me to do this podcast. I've always enjoyed being around Tobias. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, just to give a very brief context of where we're at. Paul closes chapter 11. The first three verses of this chapter uh, tie back to essentially uh, the ending part of Romans chapter 11, where Paul talks about the wisdom, the depth of the wisdom of God. He asks the question, who's able to counsel God? Uh, who's given anything to God that God would have to repay him for it. Uh, And then he just closes out in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And then Paul is going to start chapter 12 with our responsibility of that. He lists this characteristic of God. And then he says, this is our responsibility as his creation to him uh, because of that. And so that's where we're at now. And so without further ado, we'll pick up in verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, What do you have there, Tobias? Uh, For one, I have the, not the old King James, but the new King James. And uh, it talks about that reasonable uh, service. Um, what, what, uh, what did George, how did George read again? Actually mine's, the, mine's the English standard. Uh, it says spiritual worship, uh, which, uh, is not the best word, but it does give a footnote. Uh, and at the footnote, it says your rational service, uh, which is probably, which I think rational service is a better, uh, translation because obviously not everything we do is worship. Everything we do is service. That's right. Uh, but not everything we do is worship. So I uh, appreciate you bringing that up because we do want to clarify that. Um, sure. That is a, in my opinion, a shortcoming of the English standard version. Oh, no, um, no. I, I wouldn't point that out. I was going to hit on that, that word uh, service uh, as some translated worship. Uh, you got Latreo and Latreo and Latreo is, uh, is like your, your acts, if you will. And your mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, is always presented to the Father. And there's a difference. Um, like you said, one is service, one is worship. 
and there is a stark difference. I did want to point that out. Not not a right. short translation or anything. Uh, no, but, but I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying my yeah, my my yeah. the service is and and again you make a good point. But uh, from a context standpoint, service is the better word. Yes, sir. Uh, and and I do appreciate the translations that use service rather than worship. Yes, sir. And uh, I kind of want to look at that too, because I've learned that if you look at Romans chapter twelve, he starts off telling you why, just give you why we are to do this service. And then something I've learned if you read verses three through eight, he starts mentioning those like spiritual gifts and why why they ought to mm -hmm. be unified. But nine through the rest of the chapter is how you live out those spiritual, uh, not spiritual, those services, if you will. So that mm -hmm. reasonable service, that that latreo, that latreo, that that worship, he actually shows us how to do it nine through the end of the chapter. Now, that's not the verses we're here to talk about. But if I'm going to uh, teach Romans 12 and I'm starting in verse one, one is the why nine through the end of the chapter is the how. And so. Uh, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And uh, I, it, it actually was a commentator. Uh, I think his name was uh, Haley or, or uh, Harrison. And uh, Harrison pointed out, uh, like the heathen in heathen worship, they would offer up their sacrifices in order to obtain mercy. Well, in the Christianity, if you will, as Christian servants of God, it's because of God's mercy that we offer up the sacrifice. And so Man, I, I, I read the same one uh, and I actually wrote that down uh, in my Bible. Too. I underlined by the mercies of God above it. I put the reason yeah. and then I underlined present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I put uh, for this, and like you said, the mercies of God is why we offer the sacrifice to him. We don't offer the sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, which is a testament to God in the sense that, that mercy is granted before it is requested, uh, I think is a, is a good way to look at it. Um, so uh, excellent point. Yes, sir. I also have uh, marked on the verse one. Uh, I have like three P's in verses one, two, and three of transformation. Uh, we start with the definition, and then I look at the the possibility, the purpose, and the process. And verse one is the possibility. What makes sacrifice possible? What makes transformation possible? What makes presenting my body even possible? Well, it's the mercies of God. And Paul is saying, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you because of these mercies. And then he actually lists the, ver the, the mercies, if you will, uh, in the previous, uh, we call them chapters. They wouldn't have been chapters when he wrote it. Uh, right. So he, he lists some of those. And, and I'd like to point out some. If you had some, you can add as well or, or you can share with I me. Go ahead. Yes, sir. So some of the mercies that Paul is speaking about, uh, I have freedom from sin, Romans 6, 16 through 18. I have the gift of eternal life, Romans 6.23. I have the peace of God, Romans 5.1. I have access to the grace of God, Romans 5.2. And then being saved from the wrath of God in Romans 5.9. Now, these are just a few. Romans 8, he lists a whole bunch. Uh, in fact, Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible because 
uh, it just goes into that depth, uh, letting us know there's nothing in this age, uh, in this world, that can separate us from the love of God. Tells us how to walk in the spirit. It tells us there's no condemnation. Lets us know if God is for us, who can be against us. Lets us know that we are more than conquerors. Romans 8 is just one of the hard-hitting chapters. There's a lot of memorable verses in there. Uh, and so those are just a few of the possibilities of what makes transformation possible. And that's just Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, do you have some more of those uh, mercies uh, from... Uh, yeah, I mean, well, you go Romans 8, uh, verse 18, the glory which will be revealed in us is uh, incomparable uh, to the sufferings we have now. And and and, and I, that that's one of my favorite passages. Uh, while we were in school, uh, Brother T.J. Clark said that that's one that you should probably commit to memory. Uh, which, you know, I did and, and rightfully so, uh, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glories which shall be revealed in us. I mean, and, and to me, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think if you want a, a thesis of, of Romans chapter eight, that verse sums it up. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. yes, you are enduring persecutions, but guess what? Well, the reward to be had is nothing compared to what you're suffering now. Uh, they're, they're not even on the same, uh, scale. Uh, and so, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I, and, and you, and hundred percent from the standpoint of, of none of that's possible had God not extended the mercy, uh, beforehand. And, and I think that's something that we have to, to keep in mind is the mercy has been extended. The grace has been extended. Yes. Uh, and, and so now we have a responsibility and that's what Paul's talking about here. And, and that's, that's kind of the premise of everything up until this point is, is this mercy and this grace has been extended to you. And now you're what you do as a Christian has value because of what God has already done. Uh, if that makes sense. And so it's what um, makes it possible. You're absolutely right, but I think where they were at, uh, Roman, the Romans uh, were at, was that I can work, uh, I can work and 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 make it, if that hmm. makes sense. That oh, yeah. what I'm doing is earning my salvation, the sal or the salvation, the grace and the mercy, but yeah. it's the opposite. What That's you're it. doing is a result of the grace and the mercy that's been extended. Uh, uh, your work means nothing had God not done something first. And I think that's uh, when you study Romans, you have to keep that in your mind that, that God did it first and everything we're doing is a result of it. And that's, right. that's going to be when you get down to verse three, that's going to come into play a little bit too, but uh, excellent point. You have any, what else do you have on one? Um, uh, I like that you brought out the, uh, the working, because in Romans, you have a mixed audience. It's Jew and Gentile. And so with mm -hmm. the Gentiles, they are used to uh, idol worship, if you will. They are used to uh, making sacrifices, not living ones, of course. But then with the Jews, uh, they thought they had uh, God's mercies because of Abraham's seed, being being born of the lineage of Abraham. And so Paul would hit right. on that as well. And so it's it's not your your lineage and it's not your work and it's nothing but the mercy of God and I I right. really appreciate 
bringing that out because I, I kind of had uh, skipped over that. Um, but something else I have on Romans 1 is the presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Uh, it's the same thing Jesus did. If you if you look at what Jesus came and did on this earth, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us for one particular purpose. If you read Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, I'm not going to jump there, but as a reference, that's exactly what Jesus did. He he presented his body as a living sacrifice. And Brother uh, brother B.J. Clark uh, came and did a gospel meeting for us uh, back in October. And man, I, I guess I just never thought about it. But he said that Jesus gave up his physical body in order to receive a spiritual one. He He sacrificed his body on the cross to receive his body, the church. And we're doing the same exact thing. We're giving up this body so that we, we may receive a better one, if you will, new mm -hmm. one, if you will, uh, the, uh, an eternal body that we can go live with God in glory. Because uh, this, this body won't make it. And so, if it, you like you just said, if there's a reason we give up and, and there's nothing to be compared. The suffering you're going through now, the, the body that I'm going to give up cannot be compared to the body I'm going to receive uh, if I make it, when I 100%. make it, we know that we can. And so uh, you present your body as a sacrifice. Well, what do I get in return? <laughs> I, I have not seen, is and not heard. Now, I know that's uh, referring to the gospel, but but I promise you, 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 you cannot even begin to imagine. You cannot even begin to compare. There's nothing on earth you can compare. And so that, that sacrifice, it's almost one-sided. It's not really us giving up <laughs> when we think about it. In a sacrifice, you give up something. But the thing we're going to gain by giving it up is not even worthy. Not even worthy to be compared. 100%. I want to point a couple things out. One, Paul, Paul makes the point a living sacrifice. Uh, so... Uh, we're not taking our life on behalf of God, for one, uh, and we want to point that out. Two, uh, there are those who believe, especially at the time uh, that Paul wrote this, that the body was inherently evil. Oh, uh, yeah. But this is a point, this, this points to the fact the body is not evil, because if it was inherently evil, God wouldn't ask for it to be offered as a sacrifice uh, through Paul. Uh, and so, uh, so the point being is, 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 uh, those who, who think that, that flesh is inherently evil, uh, contradicts the, the fact that why would you offer something that's inherently evil to God, uh, as a sacrifice? Um, the word living is important here because it shows us that there's activeness in Christianity. It's not, it's not a, there are passive, like, for example, when one's baptized, one's saved, there's you're the passive uh, subject of what's being done as far as sins being forgiven and being cleansed and and, uh, and so forth. But uh, a living sacrifice tells me that there's activeness in Christianity. It's not a show up, sit in the pew, and check a box, uh, and everything's okay. There's an active nature to it. There are things that we have to do in That's order it. to... And we're going to see that here in just a moment when we get into verse 2. Uh, but it goes with the idea of our bodies. Understand what our bodies are. Our bodies are the vehicle in which holiness is implemented. 
uh, and and uh, John was in Matthew three and verse eight. Uh, John the Baptist says, "Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance." And the point being is, is that that repentance, which takes part in the internal man, manifests itself in the outward man. Hmm. If that makes sense, and we're going to see that when we talk about renewing of the mind. That, that's the point that, that Paul is making here is that what we have is our body. And like you said, is to be used to the glory of God. Remember verse 36, to him be glory forever. Well, how do we do that? Because uh, you, you start uh, verse 12 with, I appeal to you, therefore. In other words, because all the glory goes to God, yes. this is what you can do to glorify your God and, and use your body to glorify him. How? By that outward appearance of holiness. Well, how do you get that outward appearance of holiness? Well, we're going to see it in verse two, so I won't go that far. But understand that that this body was given to us by God. Yes. And we are to use it to His glory. Uh, I want to I want to point this out. Um, I drew an arrow from where it says, "Present your bodies as a living sacrifice." I put First Peter chapter two and verse five where Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. And I just put the note, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is a priestly duty that we perform. Mm. Uh, Jesus uh, is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. When he, like you mentioned, when he offered himself on the cross, that was a priestly act. So what's yeah. our priestly act? Our priestly act is presenting our bodies as a living <laughs> sacrifice to the glory of God. So, uh, there, the tie there and, and our responsibility as Christians, it falls into that. And then you go back to the Old Testament, you can draw the correlations between all that. But um, I'm, I'm glad you picked out this section of Scripture because uh, it's it's deep. Uh, it, I mean, and, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I never made that connection till you said that because um, you, you're right. We are priestly, a royal generation uh and <laughs> those spiritual sacrifices well that's one of them now i've right. always didn't put this in my bible i didn't mark it in my bible uh but anytime i've ever taught romans 12 1 i've always talked about uh your, your the actual body so we are the arms and legs of of of, of jesus if you will the body mm -hmm. of christ and what's a body a literal body i said so mm -hmm. if god give someone a hug He'd use our arms. If God wanted to take the message to someone, he'd use our legs. If God wanted someone to hear the gospel, he'd use our mouth. And so uh, I always, when I used to teach in the younger uh, class, the teens class, I would tell them, use every part of your body to serve God. Your eyes ought to be reading the word and watching good things. Your ears ought to be listening to the word and hearing good things. Your lips ought to be speaking good things. Your legs ought to be taking you to share the gospel. Your hands ought to be used to help pick people up. And I would just give them any things they could do with their body. And uh, and 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 it still it still correlates even to the adult class. As adults, we should be using our bodies to help, to serve, to to worship, to take, to to you know, share the message, if you will. And then to me, that's a living sacrifice is when I'm, mm -hmm. I'm using, I won't say every part of my body, <laughs> but actively using my body to serve God. Now, the point you right. made in 11, man, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. 
God is the one who gave me this body. And I don't know if you've put that in your notes, uh, but man, when you said it, it made me think, so it's not my body, my choice. You're right. hundred <laughs> percent. You're hundred percent right. And it's humbling too. It's humbling yeah. that the almighty God, the creator of all that there is, is going to use us to bring about his will on earth. The mm. one who came and lived and died for our sins is going to use us, his church, his body to bring about his will here on this earth. And and when you think about that from that standpoint, it's hard to just sit in a pew and then go home and not do anything uh, from that standpoint, uh, that there's there's more to it than, you know, just coming and, and complaining about the song leader and the preacher and all that, if that makes sense. So, oh, yeah. You have anything else on one before we move to two? No, sir. All right, verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do you have there, Tobias? But there I have uh, the process. Uh, so being uh, transformed, uh, number one, uh, we looked at that word transformed and uh, it's the Greek word metamorpho or how, however you pronounce, I may be butchering that word, but it's where we get our word metamorphosis. And uh, I know you've probably heard a lot of people teach on that. Metamorphosis is the thing a caterpillar goes through in order to become a butterfly. Uh, but I even a sermon on that about three or four weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I taught, a, I taught a class and I actually Googled <laughs> how long does it take a caterpillar to become a butterfly? And the average, I think the average is about 10 weeks, 10 weeks, I believe, maybe 10. I may need to go look it up again, but I, uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Transformation takes time. And that's something I try to get through to people. The moment you come out of the water, it's not an instant. All right, I'm, I'm finna go uh, take the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And, and in fact, one of the... the Issues with uh, Romans 9, Ro uh, not Romans, Acts chapter 9, when you read the conversion of Saul, it, when you get down after he spends the three days uh, at, at the house and he's praying, Ananias comes and baptizes him, uh, the, 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 whatever it is, the scales fall off. And then if you read the next verse, it seems like he immediately gets up and starts preaching and teaching. But then if you start piecing together other books like Galatians and other books like Corinthians and you start realizing Paul spent some time before he got he was baptized and then went and started teaching and preaching in the synagogue. It was not mm -hmm. an immediate change, if you will. So transformation takes time. And I think sometimes people give up because they don't see the results. Well, I was mm -hmm. baptized. I repented. I confessed. Why do I still have these gambling problems, these drinking problems? Why, why am I still addicted to this? Or why am I still doing this? Well, you haven't given God's word to, you haven't allowed God's word. You haven't given it the time to take root and to begin renewing, to begin that transformation process. Great point. Uh, with that word transformed, same Greek word used uh, uh, at the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, and so, uh, but I have Romans 1 verse 17, faith to faith, uh, going along with what you are. The faith to faith there is the start, the start of the faith to the end of the faith. 
Uh, and the point being is, is like you said, there's a, there's a process or a transformation that takes place over time. It's not immediate. And, and, and I'm glad you pointed it out. There is frustration. You come out of the waters of baptism and you expect it to be just a straight line. And it's a straight line from baptism to where you're at and with a constant trend of moving upwards. And it's not like that. It's, it's a, you start to go up and you go down and you go up and all that. And the important thing to understand is that it's about, uh, when you go over to first John chapter one of verse seven, it's about direction, not perfection. And the point is, is there has to be that pro that, that continual improvement. Mm. Are there going to be shortcomings? Are there going to be step backwards? Yes. But the idea is moving forward and God understands this. Uh, which I think is, is part of that. Hebrews 5, verse 12, you're in need of milk instead of strong meat. Again, he chastises the Hebrew audience for that fact. You're not progressing forward. You're not transforming. You've, you've stayed the same. You stay stagnant, uh, which goes back to the idea of what we were saying in verse 1 about a living sacrifice. There's activeness uh, in it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 uh, says that we are to increase in the knowledge of God. Well, how does that happen? Uh, well, one, it's to know his will. And then two, it's to put his will into practice. Yes. And I think the practice is the key there. Uh, that, that is a, an important word in the sense that uh, the only way you and I get, if you take up a sport, if you take up an instrument, if you take up a hobby, whatever it is, uh, it's never a, I'm going to start doing this and then be perfect at it. Right. Uh, there's there's practice that's involved. There's taking things that you've learned, applying them in action. And eventually you get to that point where they become more habitual. Uh, and that's the idea that, that you're making here as far as this transformation process, taking time, it takes time and it takes active pursuing of that capability. Mm -hmm. And, and so excellent point, uh, there, um, I put Colossians chapter three, verses one through four here, when it says, seek not the things of the world, but seek those things which are above what Christ said at the right hand of God uh, and so forth. And, and so that's the idea here. I also underline conform to this world and be transformed by the renewal of your mind and, and put external versus internal. Uh, and this goes back to the thought that they thought their works could uh, justify what they were doing though. In other words, what they showed everybody, well, the world was, it was like that. The world thought that if I put on this facade of holiness, then I'm holy. Mm -hmm. If I, at least if I look holy, then I'm holy, which Christ, that was the issue Christ had with the religious leaders. Right. When he was, he told them that he said on the outside, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. Yeah. You know, you're clean on the outside. Everyone thinks you're clean and holy, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones you're, you're, you're corrupt and, uh, that's not pleasing to God. And, and so, um, uh, and, and Paul's touching on this, the, the, the do's and the don'ts of, of this living sacrifice is one, don't, don't give yourself over the world. That's the knots. What should you do? Renew your mind. Uh, and then he'll go on to that. What else do you have here? That word, uh, transformed. If you look it up, it's passive. Mm -hmm. Transformation is not something we can do on our own. It's something 100%. that happens to us. God is the one doing the transforming. 
But see, mm-hmm. God will only do what you allow him to do. And so if you're saying, well, I'm not being transformed, it's not God. It's not the operator. You keep getting up off the table. <laughs> if you would, you would just sit down and let the doctor finish doing his work, you may see some right. results. And I found this. If you tie verse 2 back up to 1, when does the transformation take place? It's during the service. The moment you quit serving, you stop being transformed. You can read your Bible, pray, meditate, do yoga all you want. But you stop serving, you stop presenting your body as a living sacrifice. I promise you the transformation will stop taking place. 100%. And uh, going back to Colossians 1 and verse 9, uh, he says to know God, uh, to increase in the knowledge of God. And then he gives the two parts to it, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, One, know the will of God. You can't do the will of God if you don't know it. So you have to know it. So study is important. Knowing God's word is important. Spending time in the word is important. But there's also a facet where you have to put it into practice. Yes. It's And we fool ourselves if we think we can go learn God's will, hear it preached on Sunday, and then turn around, leave the building, and leave the message in the in the auditorium, which is essentially what a lot of people do. They hear the message, but they leave it there. They go out and live their lives, and whatever was said that morning in in the classes or the or the sermons or whatever isn't applied to their life throughout the week. Mm. And, and so there there's there's more to it to this transformation than just learning God's will. How many people are experts in the Bible, scholars in the Bible? But at the same time, they're skeptics. Mm. All right. They know it intellectually, but they don't accept it. They don't put it into practice. And I've underlined um, that phrase, uh, again, transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I put this is an intellectual and an, an intellectual understanding and an acceptance of God's will. It's not enough just to know it, but you have to accept it. Well, how do you, how do I know that you've accepted it? Well, then you see it in the body, your body, you present your body as a living sacrifice. You conform yourself to God's word, uh, which is vastly different than conforming yourself to the world. And as a result, you're able to see the Christianity. You're able to see that transformation, that renewal of your mind. And I think renewal of your mind here. Uh, goes back to what Peter said in Second uh, Peter chapter one, uh, around twelve or thirteen, when he says that you already know these. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says you already know these things, but I'm gonna continue to remind you of them. Right. Uh, and as a result, you weren't led astray by false teachers. And and sometimes you get that uh, temptation to say, "Well, I've already heard this stuff. I already know this stuff. I already know the truth." Well, there's a, there's a importance of having to go back and refresh your understanding and refresh your memory on the mm-hmm. basic fundamentals of truth for this reason, renewing your mind. And, mm-hmm. and so um, there's 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 more to it than just hearing the word, if that and, and this is ultimately what we're trying to trying to point it out. Gotta be. And I, I like the word renew. Like you said, oh, I've heard this before. Well, you need to rehear it as if it's all, it's new. It's all new to you. And sometimes there are some things we need to relearn. Uh, Many times I'll preach a sermon and I ask my my biggest critic is my wife. So I always ask my wife, uh, 
How I did got I one do? of those too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I used to ask her that. I don't ask her that anymore because I realized, it, number one, it doesn't matter what she thinks. I'm I'm kidding. But uh, the 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 question I started asking her was, did you learn anything? Because if I'm going to teach God's word, that's what I ought to be doing. We ought to be learning. Every Sunday, you ought to be learning something. Now, now learning takes place two ways. Uh, you need a good teacher, but you also need a good listener or a good student. So sometimes they don't learn because of the preacher or the teacher. Sometimes, like you said, they don't learn because they're hearing it, but they're not trying to put it into practice. And so I always ask, did you learn anything? And sometimes she'll say yes. And sometimes she'll say, I didn't learn anything new, but I relearned some things. And we should always be learning something in, uh, when we hear God's word, whether it be learning or relearning. We ought to be renewing our minds on a daily basis, not just Sundays and Wednesdays. 100%. Um, I've underlined that phrase, discern what the will of God is. Or what is the will of God? Discern what is the will of God. Put Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. I want to talk about walking in the light. And, and it says there in verse 10, Paul says, to try try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and again, this goes back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Well, how do, how do I know this? Well, I have to know the word. I have to know what's pleasing to him. Uh, and, and that's the thought. Renew your mind. Constantly, you know, study test uh, or prove what is the will of God or prove what is right to God or what would please God. Uh, and then he gives the characteristics and I've just underlined that phrase, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I just put, that's the characteristics of God's will. So if okay. we have an intellectual knowledge and acceptance of God's will. Then we have an intellectual knowledge and acceptance of what is good and what's acceptable and what is perfect. Uh, right. And that's, and that's going to, we're going to, we're going to make this as we go into verse three, when we understand that, when we understand the intellectual and the acceptance of God's will, we understand that it's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. Then you and I are going to put ourselves in our proper place, which he's going to talk about in verse three, before, but, uh, that he's a, he's, he's building into that point because he's going to go on and start talking about how we're all many members of the same body. That's it. Uh, contributing in different ways. Uh, and there is that temptation to put what you do in the Lord's body and compare mm -hmm. it to what someone else is doing and try and make yourself uh, a, a more important. And like you said, eventually our bodies wear down. Eventually our bodies get to the point where we can't do what we want. And there needs to be a point where we step aside and allow someone else to to do it and, and so forth. But like I said, we'll get to that in just a moment. Oh, yeah. uh, but, but the thing is, is, is to do put present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We have to understand what the standard is to determine whether we're actually doing it or not. Hmm. And that's what uh, Paul's making in, in verse two. Let me ask you this, that presenting your body as a sacrifice. Uh, do you believe that's, that's baptism? Well, I think that's part of it for sure. Yeah. So I've, I've I mean, always thought about, you know, how we preach the sermon and the person comes down the aisle and we say, you give you, give me your hand, give the, give your hand to the preacher, give your heart to God or something like that. You know, 
Uh, I believe that coming to Jesus is how we present our bodies. I, I, I do. I believe that uh, transformation is a two-part process. It is it's two R's, a rebirth and a renewal. Uh, a rebirth, that's uh, John 3, verse 3 and 5. And then you can also tie that with uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then mm-hmm. tie that together with Galatians 3, 27. So if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. How do I become a new creature? Oh, I got to get in Christ. How do I get in mm-hmm. Christ? Well, as many of you have been baptized into Christ. And so I believe that baptism starts the process of transformation. It's me presenting my body on the altar saying, Lord, not my will, but yours. This body belongs to you. I'm offering it back up to you. And and then the renewal takes place. So it's a rebirth is the beginning of the transformation. And then the renewal is, like you said, the renewing of the mind. And I also have some scriptures here. You mentioned Colossians. I have Colossians 3, 1 through 2. So renewing the mind is made possible uh, when we set our minds on things above. Also, when we set our minds on things of the spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. And also, uh, when we set our minds on God's word, praying and fellowship, you can see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And so once we renew our minds, this is when transformation can take place uh, by putting on the new man, Colossians 3, 2, 5 through 10, and by living according to the spirit, Romans 8, 5 and 13. Right. Well, and along the lines of baptism, when you go to Romans 6, it says we die to the world. You talk about a sacrifice, living sacrifice. Uh, there's that that dying to the world, giving your, your you know, um, what is it, Galatians 2.20. Uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Uh, ne- you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Offering my body as a sacrifice. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I'm not going to follow my own lust. I'm not going to follow my own desires. I'm not going to live by my own opinion, but I'm going to submit myself to God and his will. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's a sin. That's it in a nutshell. I'm going to, I'm going to take what God says and apply it to my life, my opinions, my relationships, my earthly lusts, my earthly desires mm. are going to fall below that in the priority list. And mm. that, that's my aim. That's my goal. That's my commitment. And, and so, uh, great point. Uh, you have anything else on two before we move to three? Uh, I, real quick, I want to add this because you, you mentioned uh, how they couldn't work for it. They couldn't earn it, right? It, it's passive. Uh, well, baptism, uh, according to Colossians 2, 11 through 13, is a work of God. And I find that interesting because a lot of people say baptism isn't essential because it's a work. And they're absolutely correct. It is a work, but it's a work of God, not of man. So let God work. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right. Well, and then you take the five steps of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, and confess. Those are all active. So those are all things that we do. Uh, but when you go look at the baptism facet of that, it's we're we're the subject, but passive. we're being baptized. We are. Pa- it's a passive act in which uh, God is the one who is active uh, yep. in the forgiving of sins and the cleansing of 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 our souls and so forth. So 
Uh, excellent point. In fact, it's the only one that that isn't us doing the work, and that's right. the one. Yeah, they, of, they, of the five they, steps. Uh, yeah, the five steps. Baptism is the passive one. Everything else is active. Um, remember, brother Moses, three. we're six steps. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What do you have there? Uh, I, I, I got this for verse 3. That first word, for, it takes us back to the very first two verses of the chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I put this as I taught it. As we continue to present our bodies as living sacrifices and we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, this means that our thinking will become elevated. Well, as our thinking becomes elevated, we are faced with the temptation of thinking too highly of ourselves or, simply put, thinking that we're better than others. Now, this is a sin of pride. Now, the remedy to this type of thinking is to consider the life of Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when you look at the humility of Jesus, it's impossible. It is impossible to think too highly of yourself. Uh, think about right. Jesus, what he gave up, who he was, what he could have done, the calling of the 10,000 angels. Uh, I, man, I still cannot get over that, being spat upon, being beaten, being mocked. And yet when he rose, I, I preached this Sunday. Uh, when Jesus rose from that grave uh, and gave the great commission, he could have asked for Pilate. He could have asked for the crowd. He could have asked, what was that guy that hit me and said, who hit me? But he didn't. He could have came down off that cross, but he didn't. And that takes a lot of humility. You have to realize I'm just a servant. I'm just a sacrifice. And so that type of thinking is what keeps verse three into play. Romans 12, three. Uh, Philippians 2.5, I think, is the remedy to that. How do we keep ourselves humble? Well, you got to have the, the mind of Christ, which ties back to verse 2. I need my mind to be renewed. Well, mm -hmm. once I renew my mind, I have to have the mind of Christ. Great point. I've underlined uh, not to think, and I've underlined that phrase, more highly than he mm -hmm. ought to think. And I think there's an implication there. That word more is important. Yes. Uh, you put uh, Matthew 22 and verse 39, love your neighbor as thyself. And and I think some people look at this and they think humility is a self-demeaning, self-deprecating uh, uh, type of act. In mm -hmm. other words, I, I, I got to look at myself as if I'm worthless, as if I'm useless, and that's not the point that, that Paul's making here. That's not the point Jesus made in Matthew 22 when he said, love your neighbor as thyself. The, the point is, is if, if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, then that implies that I have value. I should show value to my neighbor because I have value. And, and that phrase more highly tells me that we are to have some self-esteem. We are to have some confidence. Uh, we are to have some, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Appreciation for who we are. Some confidence. Right. But not more than it should be. That's right. And, and so and so I want to get rid of this thought that 
we're to hate ourselves or put ourselves down or consider ourselves useless. Cause that's not, that's not what Paul's saying. He's no. simply saying, put yourself where you should be. Jesus said it too, Matthew 29 tweet. I, I, I mean, we have value. Yeah. God sees value in us. He sent his son to die for all of humanity. So, so the almighty values us to the point that he, he thought us, uh, thought of us enough to send his son. So we do have value. Uh, but at the same time, we ought to understand our value and, and really where our value from where our value value comes, yes. which is what he's making at the end of this, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's so your it. value comes from God. So understand that everything and that you have spiritual gifts, uh, being talked about miraculous gifts, uh, in the context, but the principle stays the same with us. Like we mentioned earlier, that sometimes we're going to compare what we do in the church with someone else, uh, all valuable, uh, mm. you, Nehemiah, I, I really like the book of Nehemiah because it talks about them building, uh, the gates, uh, or I'm sorry, rebuilding the wall and the gates of the wall. Uh, mm. and what I found interesting is you have one who, one group of individuals who was, uh, assigned the task of rebuilding the garden gate, right? That's the, the beautiful gate. That's the gate that, uh, people admire. That's probably the gate that if, uh, if pride were involved, that's the one you would want to build because that's the one everyone's seen. That's the one of the most prestige. And then he talks about the dung gate, which was the gate in which essentially the sewer, uh, system will go out of. Now, right, there's not a lot of prestige. There's not a lot of uh, admiration that goes for that work, right? Yeah. Well, when you step back and look at it, if the dung gate was air, was was uh, broken, well, you have a problem. And yeah. and I think there's whereas in I can do without the garden gate, if that makes sense. You want. And, and and the point I guess I'm trying to make is sometimes the little things that that are done in the church yeah. that go unnoticed, yeah. go unnoticed because but when they become a problem, all of a sudden, just think about it in a church building, right? You have the the decorations in the lobby and the person in charge of all that, making the 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 auditorium beautiful and all that. Well, if the sewer system backs up, then who's the most important that that morning? Is it the person who who puts the flowers in front of the podium, or is it the guy who fixes the plumbing? That's right. right? The plumbing is not the, the prestigious job in the church, but it's needed. And that's how mm -hmm. it is in the church. Uh, sometimes the things that go unnoticed are some of the most important things, but they don't get the accolade. The preacher gets up and preaches a sermon, and that's great. And, and, and nothing wrong with that, but we tend to maybe hold that act yeah. a little higher when the reality is, is there are men sitting in the lobby providing security. Uh, there are people who work on particular facets that allow that preacher uh, to uh, concentrate on the sermon rather than having to find people to do the communion and the prayers and the song leading and all that, if that makes sense. I mean, there's everything is valuable in the Lord's church is, is, is equally valuable. Uh, yes. in the Lord's church. And that's the point that he's making. You're all equally valuable, regardless of what your role in the church is. So don't think of yourself highly and understand that the position that you're in, where you think you're gaining this prestige was given to you by God. 
and yeah. and uh, I drew a line between more highly than he ought to think and then the measure of faith and just link them because I think as our measure of faith, as our faith and our understanding of what God has done increases, then our humility increases with it as well. Uh, and we put ourselves in that proper place. What's, uh, is it James 4.10? Uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, and, and so I think that's the premise that we want to pull from this verse is that if we lower ourselves, God's the one who's going to pick us up and understand that, understand that, that we're being lifted by God uh, and have these opportunities because God's given them to us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I tie that. Uh, I tie that not thinking more highly to the service. I tie it back up to uh, this is your reasonable service, right? Because of the faith. As long as I'm serving, I won't be thinking too highly of myself. If you, you think of what Jesus did, uh, of mm -hmm. all the things uh, he could have done with his disciples, and he washes their feet. He was showing so much humility in John chapter 13. And, and, and I think that's the key. The key to verse 3, not thinking too highly, is verse 1. Present your body, continue serving. As long as you're serving, man, you how can you be better than somebody if you're the one helping them? You're the one serving them. I think uh, Romans 12 ties to 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, you see what happens when you don't keep verse 3. They were using their spiritual gifts. Well, you know, I, I, I speak or I can I can interpretate or, or my gifts better than your gifts. And they was causing divisions. And I just find it interesting. He writes Romans 12. Of course, he didn't call it that when he wrote it. But we read it as Romans chapter 12. And we see it's almost like a warning before you get to 1 Corinthians 12. Mm -hmm. Verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12 is the warning. And Romans, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 is what happened when they didn't obey the warning, if they didn't obey the warning. That's what happened at Corinth. So Paul is, is, is talking to the brethren here at Rome. No, you, you don't do that. He had already given them the warning beforehand. And so for, uh, those in Corinth really had no excuse for why they were doing what they were doing. Because if you think about it, who gave you the gift? And even us today, we have the gift of salvation. Who gave us that? It's not mm -hmm. yours. Romans three, uh, Romans six twenty three, Romans six twenty six. For the gift of God mm -hmm. is eternal. It's a gift from God. You didn't, you didn't, you can't earn a gift. You can go get it, and I think that's where we mess up sometimes. If I tell you you've won a new car, you still got to come down to the station to pick it up. But that's right. it. <laughs> you didn't work for this. Car. We don't work for salvation. We just got to do what God tells us to pick it up. Right. No, that's a great point, and and it, I mean, it it that high, more think more highly, understand your role, the measure of faith which God has assigned, uh, goes back to that living sacrifice in two ways. One, uh, I'm more proficient picking something up with my hand than I am my foot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use my hand as the best option. All right, we you use it with tools too. If I'm need a hammer and nail, the hammer is the best tool. Uh, not the screwdriver, all right? If I want to screw a screw, though, the screwdriver is the best tool, not the hammer. And so there's the, there's a place in all these things which Paul's making. He's going to continue to make in verse 4. The other 
is goes back to that living sacrifice, that activeness of Christianity. All right. If, if your hand, you know, my hand, I can do this and, and all that. Well, if my hand just lays dead on the table and I can't do anything with it, what happens? I usually go to the doctor uh, and I want to know what's wrong with it. And, and in some cases, uh, for example, like you get, you know, frostbite or something, gangrene or something like that, what happens? You got to cut it off. The point yeah. being is, is that if we are inactive members of God's body, in other words, if, if we go back to this idea of living sacrifice, meaning that we ought to put in the work and, and, and be active and do things, then that coming and just sitting in the pew and then going home, leaving the message in the auditorium, what it, or that's your, it's not beneficial to the church. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you can even go as far as, as if you are listening to the message, but then living the opposite of the message, then mm. you become a cancer. cancer. Uh, and so there's that thought of, uh, and, and Paul, I mean, it's genius uh, linking the church to the body because we understand those things. If something doesn't work, if something's inactive, then we need to fix it because it's supposed to be active, just like our, our, our appendages on our body is supposed to be active. Uh, and then if something is hurting our body, then we have to remove it. And, yeah. and then you, so you see the genius of, of, of God in comparing the church to a body because we understand that. And that's what Paul's sitting here. And you know what, right? I mean, the pink, everyone uses this example, but it's fitting the pinky toe, right? It's one of those part of your bodies that you don't think about until you stub it. And then when you stub your <laughs> pinky toe, or in yeah. some cases, some people lose it. Then yeah. you start to understand how truly important it is. And and so, uh, again, um, when you stub your pinky toe, uh, there are parts of your body that are, are less important uh, at that particular point, you know. And so, uh, again, uh, I really appreciate you bringing this up bring, or choosing this passage because uh, I've really enjoyed studying. You have anything else before we close? Uh, in closing, I just have, uh, we've been called to be transformed into the image of Christ. Romans eight twenty nine. Uh, God wants to give us a complete makeover, uh, Romans six, uh, four through six. Uh, and he provides the tools necessary, Bible study, prayer, fellowship. He wants to fashion us or transform us into a completely new person. And the question I end with is, are we submitting to brain surgery by the great physician? Great point. And that is a great way to close it out. Tobias, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your input. Uh, Great thoughts. Uh, To those who are watching and listening, thank you for your support. And until next time, 